Lord Jesus, we have come to meet with you. We have come to hear from you. We have come to be changed by you. So would you just make yourself known to us? Lord, as we come and uh, just begin the discussion this morning about marriage, about one of the most important relationships uh, that two humans can have, would you just govern all of this, Lord? Uh, th this can be a really touchy subject. Uh, this is, there's a lot of different views. There's a lot of different history uh, that people have. Lord, my desire is for your people to meet with their father. That's all. So would everything that is said and done here today uh, just be led by your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I was thinking about what to call this series, um, I had talked with Kim a number of times and was just like really struggling with the wording because it's like, how do you kind of encapsulate marriage and, and, and a goal for marriage? Um, and it was a difficult thing. I kind of went a lot of different directions, but the, the thing that kept coming back to me was a marriage that makes a difference. Because as I was looking at the scriptures and I was looking at why God created marriage and, and the teachings on marriage, like there is this impetus behind marriage. There is this, this deep purpose that God has for marriage. Marriage is one of the first things that God created when he created the universe. Like you get that, right? There, there is a, a huge purpose behind it. And I think so many times we think like, oh yeah, it's just marriage. Like, oh, I should try harder. And, or, oh, it's making me miserable sometimes. But like, I believe that God has created marriage because he wants to transform the world through it. I, I believe that marriage is meant to be one of the most transforming powers that God has given us. And if it seems like I'm over-speaking a little bit or overstating my case, stick with me here. But I also want to uh, give a little pause because I understand that not everyone in here is married. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, marital statuses around from single to divorced to, to children that are in here with us. And so I, I want to point out, while we're going to be focusing in on marriage and marriage is going to be kind of the main vehicle um, for the discussions that we have, a lot of the principles here, actually most of the principles apply to any relationship that we have. Uh, you know, there's things when we talk about communication and understanding and some of this kind of stuff, it applies to every relationship. So if you're not married, don't check out on me. There's a lot here that you can gain, whether because you hope to be married someday, here's a little sneak peek behind the curtain, or even if just, hey, work relationships, friend relationships, family relationships, a lot of these things will still apply to that. So if you're not married here this morning, don't check out on me. For those of you that are married here this morning, we're going to be talking a lot about the ideal marriage. And there's going to be a lot of opportunity for you to go, well, that ain't me. Good. <laughs> we're talking about like, man, the marriage that God created before sin ever entered the world. Okay, it's one of those things where like, that's the goal. And we're probably never going to reach it here. But it's what we're to strive after. And so as we're describing these things and as we're talking, I want you to hear two things. First of all, I have not reached it. Uh, they always say you can't lead people where you haven't been. And I believe that's true, but I have not been in the perfect marriage. And it's not my wife's fault. You have no idea, Stephen. <laughs> so 
So I, I don't want you at any point in time to hear me standing up here going, I have this figured out. And Nope. It's one beggar trying to show another beggar where to find a piece of bread. Here's some things that I have learned, most of them, the hard way, and I have not perfected them, and I am not great at them, but here's some principles that God has shown me through people much wiser than myself, and I simply want to share them with you. So if you're hearing these, and you become aware that, like, I'm pretty bad at that. Boy, I'm, that's not natural for me. I, I know that I should be doing that, but, oh, I keep falling short. Know, first of all, that you're in good company. It's okay. And also, as we focus on marriage, I'm aware that there are those in the room who have been divorced in the past, where, where marriage didn't end up the way that we thought that it would or should. And I want you to know that I have been praying against guilt for you all week. I have been praying for the Lord to set a guard over my mouth so that I don't accidentally say something that causes a wound that the Lord didn't mean to cause. He may bring conviction. Conviction is that sweet time where the Lord comes and goes, hey, we need to deal with this, but it's always with an arm around you for your good. The enemy wants to throw guilt and go, oh, you blew it. You're unforgivable. You're damaged goods. You're... And we just feel shame over it. If you begin to feel that, know that it's of the enemy and you can pray against it as well. You can, you can rebuke the enemy and you can say, that is not from the Lord. Get out of here. The scripture says that when we rebuke the enemy, he has to flee. So there's going to be times if you come from a broken family, a broken marriage, maybe you're in a blended marriage now, know that the Lord is not holding guilt over you. Nothing that I say here is intended to bring guilt because guilt is of the enemy. Does that make sense, church? So listen, if you're in here this morning and you're, this is your first marriage and things are going pretty good, pay attention but also pray for the others around because there's a lot of people that even just that word, even someone standing up on a stage with a Bible open before them and saying the word marriage triggers some things. My goal, my hope, my prayer is that God builds us up. He's not looking at your past and going, what am I going to do with that? He's looking at you where you are and going, how do I help move you forward? Does that make sense? Yeah. Two of you. Great. Yes, it does. Thank you. Okay. So back to my premise. I believe that God created marriage to transform the world. Uh, let's look. In the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. We, we know that it starts in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. And so there's this creating like the universe and forming the world and separating the water from the land and creating animals, creating man. Like, and it's this beautiful, honestly hard to believe story of God just literally speaking the world into existence. And so he creates man and listen to what he says about it. This is Again, this will blow your mind a little bit. Genesis chapter 1, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are having a conversation about what should we do next. Think on that one for a minute. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So God created everything we know 
And he went, what's the best way we can find to like keep things going, to keep moving these forward? And he went, I know. I'll create not only like mankind, I'm gonna create very specifically men and women to partner together to rule over the earth. From the beginning, God was going, this is something that through their relationship together, the whole earth is gonna be transformed. Genesis chapter two, they kind of go back and they zoom in a little bit on that same account. And so there's, there's this creation of mankind. The story's told again, but in more detail. And so this one's 10 verses, just hang on. I'll, we'll read through the whole thing and then I'll just point some things out. The Lord God took the man, so after he had created Adam, took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree in the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. If you're not familiar with the biblical story, that comes in in a big way, in about two chapters, actually one chapter from here. The Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all of the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife. They became one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Okay, so God going, I have the biggest task I've ever given anyone that's not me. I've created man, and there's this task of, of ruling, subduing, transforming the earth, and it's too much for him alone. He needs a helper and so God creates man's best friend, the dog. God creates a bromance and brings along Adam's friend, Steve. And they, they figure it out. To... God said, I know the perfect partner for Adam. And it's to be his wife. They're to become one flesh, inseparable. They were naked. They felt no shame. Like they had this, this intimacy and this depth of relationship that had never been seen before. And honestly, we've never really gotten right since. And it was meant, this relationship was meant to transform the world. I believe that that is still true today. One of the greatest catalysts to transform our community is deep, healthy marriages. And again, it sounds like really, like it's just a marriage. Can a marriage really transform a community? As we start to look at how culture has broken down over the last 50, 100 years, what is one of the things that is always pointed to? The, the data points to it, like people sit and just talk about it all the time. They go, well, our culture is breaking down. What is something they always point to? Look at the divorce rates. Look at the number of broken homes. Look at the number of children being raised by grandparents. Like, it all revolves around the family. And yeah, there's some socioeconomic stuff and all of that, but one thing that is a part of every single conversation 
Look at the number of kids growing up without fathers. Look at the, it's always pointed to as the family has broke down, culture has gone with it. If it is one of the greatest destructive forces in our world, then don't you think maybe it's meant to be one of the greatest forces for good the world has ever seen? We, we sometimes look at it and we go, yeah, but it's just marriage. Like it's just one marriage. Even when you start to look at it, first of all, how could a healthy marriage, for those of you, raise your hand if you're married in here today. How could a healthier marriage transform your life? <laughs> My son just said, um, so <laughs> we might need to address that later. We'll find out. How could a healthy marriage transform just your life? We look at it and we go, man, it's the greatest source of joy or pain oftentimes in my life. How could it transform your family generationally? My grandmother, she's 92 at this point in time, and she is still kicking. She had six kids. Collectively, they had 23 grandkids, and now we're on, I don't know, somewhere in the double digits of great-grandkids. I don't think she thought about this when she was 20, but going, what impact would her marriage have on then 23 different families in her lifetime? The, the opportunity to begin to transform a community over generations, but also think about how it could transform your neighborhood. If people saw marriage as it was really meant to be, it would catch them off guard. We've had conversations where people have kind of gone, what is that? Why do you guys love each other like that? It, it seems like it should be so normal, but in such a broken world, especially when it comes to family, those points of light shine even brighter. When people see a healthy, committed marriage, something in them goes, what's going on there? I have questions. One of the greatest evangelistic tools that we have is to invite people into our home. Why? Not just because we want them to see our cool stuff, but because when they see the way that we love each other, they better have questions. We should have the kind of marriages that demand answers from people. What is this? What's going on here? How come you didn't react like this or respond like that? People expect to see darkness, and when they see light, it should be almost jarring at times. Our marriages are meant to be one of the most transforming relationships we have. And again, as I say this, I am incredibly aware of my own flaws. <laughs> I don't ever want you to hear that I'm standing up here going, I have marriage figured out. Just make your marriage like my marriage. Make your marriage like I hope my marriage one day will be. Some of you I'm looking at and I'm going, I hope my marriage is like yours one day. But even you're going to go, ah, we're making it up as we go. We still have so much further to go. I just never want anyone to hear, like, I've got it figured out. You know, just do what I do. But I think that there are some principles that we can grab a hold of that help us to get traction in the kind of marriage that makes a difference in our world. So I believe this, if we're going to have those kinds of marriages, if we're going to have marriages that make a difference in our community, in our world, generationally, we have to grow in five foundational areas. There's, there's five kind of foundational pieces that if we will begin to grow in these areas, 
we'll see not only our marriages improve. And does that mean that they're going to be perfect and easy from that point on? No. But we will see them grow. They'll, they'll become more fulfilling. We're, we're going to talk about what they're supposed to become here in a minute. But if we focus in these areas, we will begin to have marriages that make a difference. And hear this, when I say grow in these areas, what I mean is grow in understanding and practice. I'm not just going to tell you, hey, do these things and everything will be fine. The first thing that has to change is the way that we view marriage, the way that we view ourselves and our spouse. We have to grow in our understanding, and that will then change the way that we act. Does that make sense? So here's the, the five foundational areas. I've held you guys in suspense long enough. Nope. That first one's not meant to be prayer. That's a typo by me. Go ahead and put that up there. The first one, like what we're going to talk about today is expectations. I don't know why I typed prayer. Maybe I should change it, and we should just talk about that. Expectations. Roles, conflict, finances, and intimacy. The expectations that we have for ourselves and for our spouse, they determine everything in marriage. The, the roles, the way that we come together, the way that we see ourselves locking arms and partnering with our spouse can be transformative. And if we get it wrong, can be so destructive. How we handle conflict. It, has anyone in here reached the point in their marriage where they just don't ever have conflict anymore? I don't see any... Put your hand down. <laughs> I noticed only one of you raised your hand there. There might be some conflict to deal with later. The way that we go about handling conflict is transformative to our relationships, our finances, and intimacy. Intimacy is code. I think you guys know what intimacy stands for, right? Wink. Okay? So, wives, you may have dragged your husbands out of bed this Sunday. Week five, husbands, get your wives here. No, I'm just I'm teasing you. I'm half teasing you. If we focus, if we grow in our understanding, and that begins to change the way that we practice in these five areas, you will see, I mean, I don't give many guarantees, but you will see health in your marriage grow. You will see your relationship deepen because of the conversations that you'll have, because of the, the unity that you find yourselves moving forward with, and you will begin to see the effects your marriage can have on the community all around you. So let's look at growing in expectations. Hey, they fixed it. Thank you, guys. Expectations are defined like this, a strong feeling for the way things should or will turn out. Okay, all of us come into just about every situation with a certain set of expectations. We have a way that we think things should or, or we know that they will turn out. And this is Webster's definition here, but I love that it says a strong feeling. We have an emotional attachment to the way that things should go. What happens when, somebody, when things don't go that way? What happens when somebody comes in and messes with things and it doesn't turn out the way that we feel? How do we feel? Disappointed is a very kind way of putting it. Mad is another way of putting it. There is a strong emotional response when those expectations aren't met. Our expectations determine our actions and our reactions. When we walk into a situation, what we expect to happen determines not only the course that we set ourselves on, the way that we're going to approach 
that circumstance, that relationship, whatever it is, but also it determines our reactions. When somebody does something, we're asking the question, does this line up with how I wanted this to go? If not, they get a negative reaction. If so, they probably get a positive one. Our expectations in every arena of life, especially in marriage, they determine our actions and our reactions. You ever had that situation that you kind of keep running into with your spouse and you keep going, why do they keep reacting this way? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> oh, these lights are bright. I can't see many faces. When it's quiet, I'm just like, they all left. <laughs> We've had that. You, you keep, why do they keep reacting this way? Because they expect things to go a different way. And you keep getting in their way. Why do I keep reacting that way? You ever had that where you just blow up on somebody and even you step back and go, whoa, where did that come from? I expected things to go very differently and this person got in the way. Our expectations, they're, they're the most foundational thing that I can point out to you in relationship. Everything else we're going to talk to over the next four weeks and any conversations we could have beyond that, our expectations are foundational to those things. What we expect from the other person, what we expect from ourselves, what we expect to get from that relationship, what we expect to pour into that relationship. If those expectations are off, we will just keep running into that wall time and time and time again. I heard somebody teach this one time. Uh, I don't remember who it was, so I can't give them credit for it. But they said frustration or, yeah, frustration is the result of unmet expectations. Every time we feel frustration inside, I'm frustrated with that person, I'm frustrated with this situation, if we're self-aware to stop and go, hey, what's really going on? We would go, okay, I expected something to happen and it didn't happen. I expected things to go this way and it didn't, and frustration is our natural response. And listen, this is good news. Because when I start to get frustrated, if I'm self-aware, if I'm growing and mature, what question can I ask in that moment? Think it through a little bit. What was my expectation for this? I can now begin to examine my own motives, my own expectations, and I can begin to grow. Frustration is the result of unmet expectations. How many of us are frustrated multiple times a day? How many of us get frustrated with our kids, with our spouse? We have expectations for them that they're not meeting. Now, we're going to talk here in a little while. They may be realistic expectations. They may be completely unrealistic. But until I can get to the point where I can recognize what are my expectations, we can never fix that problem, and we're just going to keep button heads over this thing. Is this making sense? Okay. Some of you are smiling and nodding, which scares me a little, but. And listen, when it comes to marriage, this specifically can be such a painful place to learn this lesson, to have this frustration, to have this tension and this conflict, because in marriage, this is supposed to be the person that you can trust the most, right? And so little hurts feel like big hurts. Little Unmet expectations become huge unmet expectations because of the weight placed on marriage, because of the, the intimacy that we have in marriage. This is the person that I should trust the most. And so when my expectations aren't met, it hurts a lot. 
This is something we have to learn to focus on. And so what I want to do is I want to look through three different lenses to view our expectations through marriage. Kind of going, where do these expectations come from? What are my expectations when it comes to my marriage? Again, you can apply this to any relationship. When it comes to friendship, what is my expectation for my friends and what are their expectations of me? Parents and, and children, like this conversation crosses all those boundaries. This can be applied to any relationship. I think there's three lenses that we view expectations through. The first is a cultural lens. To think that we can live in the Western world, in America, in this culture, and not at all be affected by it is silliness, right? And so to ask the question, what is culture's expectations for marriage? What, what does culture expect from a marriage? Think about how it's portrayed in movies or books. Think about how it's talked about or joked about. What are people's expectations for marriage just in the culture, in America? What do you got? Okay, our happiness is the number one priority. Yeah, how many stories end with happily ever after? Listen, when, when I do, too many, when I do premarital counseling with people, day one is going, have you ever heard happily ever after? Forget it. A ton of work ever after, okay? Truly, if you're in here and you're not married and you're going, whoa, he makes it sound kind of scary, good. The first thing I do in premarital counseling is I tell them, I'm gonna try to scare you out of marriage. If you still wanna get married by the end of this, maybe there's something there. Because marriage is a lot of work. But what we're sold in, again, movies and all this stuff is happily ever after. Once they made it to marriage, the credits roll most of the time, right? It's either that or it's one of those sad dramas about divorce where you watch it at the end and they split up and everyone's miserable and the credits roll and you're like, why did I watch that? Most of the stories lead to a happily ever after. That is not reality. If you've been married since yesterday, you already know. I try to prepare people like, look, on your honeymoon, you're going to fight. And they're like, no, we're going to be so happy. We're gonna... And then they come back and they're like, yeah, we had a big one, like day two, you know, and it's like our culture pushes happily ever after. Why is that so dangerous? It's, it's a very unrealistic expectation. It, it's an impossible expectation. Who does that expectation put the weight on? The other person. What we're saying there in happily ever after is this person is going to make me happy forever. That is a ton of weight to put on another human being, another prideful, sinful, flawed human being to go, you better be perfect. Sure. Right. My expectation was that you'd be happy with me every day. Like, it is a horrible cycle. Listen to me. No human being will make you happy for the rest of your life. It is an impossible task. It, it's a fool's errand to try, but it's what we're sold every time. Like, I hate romantic comedies. Any of you that know me well at all know that I hate them passionately. I think it's just a movie watching people with poor communication skills. 
the whole time I'm just going, if you would just talk to each other, like, but they're always trying to trick each other. And I'm like, oh my goodness, just talk to each other. But what it's always pushing is, because if we can get this person to fall in love with me, then I'll be happy. And it's a movie. The credits roll and the actors go home. It is not realistic. What else? What other expectations does culture have for marriage? Okay. <laughs> Dave, David, I could go a lot of directions <laughs> with that. Why don't you help me a little bit? How does that? He said the lyrics of the song, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Infidelity. Find somebody to love. Okay, like red flags. <laughs> okay. you won't find the idea of soulmates in scripture. Honestly, short of a few places, you're gonna to struggle to find romantic love in the scriptures. Not because God is against it, but because it's a pretty new cultural phenomenon. Marriage used to be about, we need kids because one day the kids will do the work for us and we can retire, you know, or a political alliance, whatever. Like this whole thing of like, just find the one you love is pretty new. And I'm not even gonna say it's a bad thing. But it's a pretty new idea. Marriage was not about just finding my soulmate. It was about who makes sense as a match, and then we move forward. I mean, arranged marriages still happen in huge parts of the world today, and it seems super foreign to us, but yet their divorce rates are incredibly lower than ours. Part of that is, you know, just cultural acceptance of divorce and that. But part of it is also they had very different expectations coming into marriage, right? They weren't looking at this person going, are you going to make me happy every single day? It was like, well, we're in it. Let's figure it out. Here we go. What else? Christina. We're going to deal with this later on. Oftentimes, like in those movies, what do they do? They go, I shouldn't have to tell them anything. They should just know. Guess what? They don't. Ever. None of us are mind readers. But we have, the, again, culture says you should never have to tell someone what you want or need. They should just figure it out. If they really love you, they'll just figure it out. And if not, you just cut tail and run. What else? Anything else? Cultural expectations for marriage. Perfect equality. Perfect equality. Okay. We'll talk about this more next week when we look at roles, but culture views men as bumbling idiots. Straight up. Watch a beer commercial. <laughs> We're complete and utter morons. 
I can't tell you like how many TV shows or whatever, like think about this, you've seen it before. Dad is some kind of idiot and the child has to come up and go, hey dad, sit down, we gotta talk. And the child now presents like the, whatever lesson there is in the thing and dad's like, mm, I never thought about that. Like men are perceived as bumbling idiots, beer swilling pigs. That's what we bring to the table Man, my, okay, and this isn't new. I'll just, very quickly, Theo is very into Berenstein Bears right now. Have you ever read a Berenstein Bear? First of all, longest book you'll ever read, ever. Like, so many words. Papa Bear's a moron. I mean, literally, almost every book he's bumping his head on something, you know, because he was surprised, and oh, and he almost falls down, and like, every single time, and Mama Bear has to come in and save the day. She's the only rational person there. This is the story that is told. And listen, when you look at a lot of marriages, this is the story that's accepted. Men go, hey, look, like, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you a secret. My wife knows. I've never in my life done laundry. You never did? Never did. I folded it, but I've never washed a little laundry. Do you know why? Because I've chosen to never learn. Because, like, look, if, I, if they're going to do it, and they think I'm incapable of learning how to do it, yeah, that's great for me. Laundry's tough. Who can use a measuring thing? What is this? I put dish soap in it. Oh, no. Like, my wife knows that and loves me, and there's things that I do that she never has to do. That's just an agreement that we have. But I've never learned how. because and Culturally, like, there's a lot of guys that are like, yeah, obviously. Like, that's, she does that because I'm too dumb. Can't figure it. Can't be trusted with it. Yeah, so if you ever get around me and I don't smell so great, she's hip to it, okay? She's figured it out. I, I think one of the things that culturally we see is marriage is both optional and temporary. In fact, it, it used to be where like, hey, if two people weren't married, like it was fine, but we kind of didn't talk about it. It's celebrated now. People are going, look, marriage is this man-made thing. So we're together. We love each other. We're monogamous. Who needs marriage? And people go, good for you. And it's become this, this celebrated thing. It's optional. It's just a piece of paper. What changes? It's temporary. Well, I'll tell you what, if you're not happy, time to upgrade. Like anything else. If your car stops making you happy, you buy a new one. It's just that simple. If your spouse like, gets wore out like a pair of shoes, trade them in. It is all temporary and optional. And it sounds silly, but there's not really a difference. I mean, I've never seen them around Elkins, but if you're ever outside of Elkins and you start to look at billboards, you're going to see some divorce attorney ones, and they'll literally just say, want an upgrade? Call 1-800-DIVORCE. And it, like, it's that straight up. And listen, no one's picketing outside of it. They're just going, yeah, I mean, maybe I don't right now, but it's, I'll write the number down in case I need it one day. Because when that person stops making me happy, it's time to move on to someone else. So you start to see the danger of the cultural view of marriage, the expectations that culture has, that when we adopt those expectations, you see how this train runs off the track pretty quickly, right? Statistically, this train runs off the track way more regularly than we would like. But it's because this is people's expectations for it. What is, let's look through the biblical lens. What are God's expectation for marriage? Till death do you part. Okay, I'm, I'm going to slow things down. These are two different things that I want to talk about. Till death do us part. 
God's view for marriage is that you're making a vow that's forever, right? And listen, this is one of those opportunities. Now divorce has been mentioned, and when a guy stands up here with a microphone and talks about divorce, some wounds can start to come up for some of you. Like, this is not a time to attack. I'm, I'm in no way going to say, like, and if you've ever been divorced, like, oh, you blew it, and God's done with you. Like, never, ever. He's a redeemer. He brings life from death. Okay? Like, so please, if, if me talking about divorce starts to trigger you a little bit, know that my heart is never to condemn. God's heart is not to condemn you in this. But God desires marriage to be a forever thing. The two become one flesh. He says in Matthew 19, Jesus talking, he says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the creator made them male and female, referring back to Genesis where we read, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. God's view, his expectation is that marriage is a forever thing. What God has joined together through marriage, let no man separate. Think of how destructive it is to take something, myself, for instance, that is one flesh and divide it into two. How well am I going to do after that surgery? Not great, right? Listen, I think sometimes we think divorce is a sin because God just picked it out of the air and went, yeah, don't divorce. That's a good rule to throw at them. He said it is so incredibly destructive when two people separate that I'm going to call this sin and call them never to do it. It's not bad just because God said so. God went, this is so destructive, I need to tell them how bad it is. Does that make sense? Do you see the difference there? His expectation is commitment forever. Now listen, that flies in the face of feelings, right? Because what about those days when it doesn't feel good? Is my expectation to be committed to my spouse or to be happy every day? Because those are two very different expectations. What was the one? What did you say, Kim? Yeah, so we're going to look at this one more next week as we look at some of the roles. But marriage is meant to be an illustration for God's love for his people. That when people look at our marriages, they see something so different that, like we talked about, they go, whoa, what is that? And they ask questions. And our response is, this is how he loved me. And so this is how I love my spouse. It is a reflection of God always moving towards us, of God's generosity, of God's forgiveness towards us, of his love towards us. There are so many times where he says, now in the same way, that's how you love your spouse. And so marriage is meant to be this illustration, this reflection of God's love for his people. This is where you start to get into what a, what a crazy evangelistic tool this can be. Why do you love her like that? Like, well, how? Because that's how he loved me. It's meant to be this illustration. What else? God's expectations for marriage. It's not about me. What do you mean by that? I agree. What do you mean? <laughs> A lot. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. Here's a very important truth. Like this, this is one that if we can begin to, to really grab hold of, and let deepen in our hearts, we'll see some things change. Marriage has nothing to do with your happiness, and it was never meant to. 
God created marriage for your holiness because he wanted you to become more like him. And marriage is the greatest opportunity, the greatest refining tool that God has ever created. We, we've all heard this before. We, somebody says, oh, I was praying for patience the other day. And we go, whoa, be careful. Don't ever pray for something like that. Because we know something. When you pray for patience, is God just going to download a bunch of patience into you and life is easy? When you pray for patience, he's going to give you plenty of opportunities to be patient, right? Marriage is that everyday opportunity to become like Jesus. And that was his point in it. Now listen to me. I'm not trying to make marriage seem like some drudgery that, oh, man, the ball and chain, and once you lock it on, there's no escape. Like, it is the most fulfilling, joy-filled relationship a person could have. That is what it's meant to be. Now, that, listen, that can be different from happiness at times. But it's fulfilling and joy-filled because through it, we become more like Jesus. We realize who we were really meant to be, and we find joy and fulfillment in that. And man, sometimes the other person, things are great, and it's easy, and we're happy. But we all know that doesn't last, because I'm human, because they're human. When we're looking at marriage to, as a way to find happiness, recipe for disaster. When we're looking at it instead of going, God is going to use this relationship to make, him, make me more like him than I ever could be without. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. This is our wedding verse, right? You've all heard this at a wedding before. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, is not boastful, not conceited, does not act improperly, it is not selfish, is not provoking, and does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's, that's a beautiful verse, right? And we read it at people's weddings. It's a warning. <laughs> Think about it. Everything I've highlighted there in yellow is he, he's telling you this because it ain't going to feel like it. He's telling you this because you're going to forget in the moment. And you're going to have to go, oh, that's right. Love is patient because I'm not. Love is kind because, man, the claws were coming out there and I needed reminded of it. It's ugly, but let's talk about it. Like in our marriage, we boast. We are conceited. We act improperly. We are selfish provoked to anger. We keep a record of wrongs. You ever had the conversation that starts with, well, last month you said you'd never do it again. <laughs> the reason that Paul wrote this, and listen, this is not about marriage, though it certainly applies there. This was Paul talking to just people in general and going, we're called to love each other. But this is him going, listen, and it's going to be real, real hard. Love endures all things. You don't have to endure an easy day, right? But Paul is going, look, if you choose to love, buckle up because it's hard. But look at all the things that God will produce in you through this difficult relationship. Is this making sense, church? So what else? God's expectations for marriage. What else do we got? Okay, through sickness and health. Again, it's about commitment. Do you know why I'm married to my wife? Because I said I always would be. And some days, let's be real, it's the only reason. I'm just having a bad day. She's having a worse day, whatever it might be. The only thing keeping me there is, where else am I going to go? I said I would be here every day, and so I will be. 
Without that kind of commitment, sickness and health, death do us part, they're doomed to fail. Because again, they become optional. They become until I don't like it that much. And then I'm out. Yeah, it's exhausting to try to keep the emotional aspect there every single day. Listen, I'm not, again, I'm not saying after 20 years, it's just, you just deal with it. Like, there's good days and there's bad. There's days where you go, I can't believe I get to be married to you. Yeah. And there's other days where you go, I swore I'd never leave. <laughs> she says that to me. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It is about commitment. Let me ask you this. Some people would say marriage is about procreation. Big word meaning having kids. Is that an expectation that God has in marriage? A couple real strong no's. Okay. Shanna? Mm -hmm. It says be fruitful and multiply. Yeah. You go back to that, to Genesis, and he says be fruitful and multiply. And so a lot of people would go, therefore, every marriage ever, that's the mandate. Be fruitful and multiply have kids, right? Is that God's expectation for marriage? For every single marriage? Here, here's something that I think we can all agree on. The scripture does teach that marriage is the only confines God has given us to multiply, to procreate, to have kids. He says it's meant to happen in a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. Th this is where the family is meant to grow, is it a command, is it an expectation from God that therefore every marriage has kids? Okay. So some people are not physically capable. That's a reality that we have. And let's be honest, who's to blame for that? Like, could God fix it like that? Could God have made them fully capable from the, like, yeah. That's something that God has allowed, whether he caused it or not, that is something that God has allowed. And so, okay, there's at least a caveat for some people just are physically incapable of procreating, of, of having kids in their relationship. So are those people letting God down? I hope we would all say no. Savannah, you had a hand up? Is that where you were going or somewhere different? Not that I'm aware of. I'll say that same thing of just kind of going through and I'm not aware of any New Testament command to like, you have to have kids. And, and here's the thing. 
With this one, all I'm going to say is this. Let's be very careful what laws we put in God's mouth that he didn't put there himself. Okay? Is it wrong to lie? Yes. How do I know? Because he made it so clear. (laughs) Is it wrong to commit adultery? Yes. How do I know? Because he made it so clear. Is it wrong to be married and not have kids? I'm going to be real careful what I choose to put in his mouth. Okay? That's not something that he did not tell us my expectation. Now listen, you can go back to Genesis chapter 1 and go to be fruitful and multiply. So maybe he does that like, I'm not saying there's not an argument to be had or a conversation to be had. But we need to be careful like how hard we draw these lines that he didn't draw very hard himself. Does that make sense? So I'm not necessarily just going to give you the answer across the board because here's what I think the real answer is. If you're asking that question, you and your spouse need to spend some time with the Lord. Lord, is this what you have for us? He'll tell you. He's not shy. We want the answers, honestly, typically, so that we can look at somebody else and go, oh, you. Because here's the other question then. Okay, the be fruitful and multiply. How many? Do we get to stop one day? Because kids are hard, right? Like some, and we know some Christian factions would say, no, you keep going until you're in the double digits. Some of us go, we feel like the Lord has called us to have two or three or four. You'll find arguments for both across the board. Again, we got to be very careful where we draw lines. Go ahead. Sure. When you start to look into adoption and everything, I've heard it once said, and again, I don't want to draw hard lines here. I'm not saying that I'm quoting someone else. I'm not saying that everyone is called to adopt, but I can't think of a single person that wouldn't be. Now, does that mean that God is calling everyone there? No, but we also go, unless God hits you over the head with it, don't touch orphans. (laughs) You know, and it's like, uh, no, we we are all called to love orphans, the fatherless, the widows, the now, how we do that and what that looks like, again, that's for us to come to the Lord and go, Lord, what does that look like in our family? It's way more about being dependent on the Holy Spirit's leading than it is these hard and fast rules. God has set some things very clearly. Marriage is a forever thing. It's about commitment. There's a lot that we want to put on from our church cultural backgrounds that we have to just be careful with. There's a difference between what, has God told, what God has told me and my family than what has God told me for every family. Do you understand? We have to hold those things kind of open-handed. God has made this clear that for Kim and I, this is the way that we're supposed to go in these things. I have to be very careful not to then put that on everyone else if that's not something he's done clearly in his word. Does that make sense? I'm trying to bring some, some freedom here, not muddy the waters. But some things are gray because God said, I'm going to deal with this with each family. I'm not going to have this one rule that everyone follows. I'm going to lead each of them differently. And we have to learn to kind of be okay with that in some areas. Will God ever lead a husband to divorce his wife? No. I've had many conversations with people that went, God was so clear. He told me it's time to to leave her. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Because he told me right here. No, he didn't. Like, there's certain things we can hold on to. 
ironclad. And the rest of it, we have to go, Lord, where are you leading me and my family? Okay, so let's look at our personal lens now. That is how culture influences our view of marriage. That is how the scripture influences our view of marriage. There's a whole lot of gray. Some of it, like we were talking about this family stuff of going, Lord, what are you calling me to? Some of it goes beyond that. Once we understand where culture's expectations and God's expectations differ, how, how they're, they're very different expectations, we can begin to examine our own expectations and go, where did that one come from? Is that something he led me to? Or is that something I just picked up somewhere from the world? We can begin to examine and go, which ones are worth holding on to and which ones aren't? So what are some unrealistic expectations we can bring into our marriage? Some of them we've already mentioned, and it's okay to just shout some of those out again, but, but think about it. What are some of the unrealistic expectations that we can bring into marriage? Oh, I'm going to fix him. He's so close. I can get him over the edge. I, I'm joking, but like it, it, I can change him. If they would just listen to me, everything would be so much better. I can change them. I can fix them. Okay? Okay? Everything's going to look just like my mom and dad. Everything will be done just the same way my mom and dad did it. We're going to have the same kind of relationship. I take the expectations I grew up with and I go, here we go. This is my marriage. What's the problem with that? The other person's doing the same thing. And guess what? They weren't raised in your house. If so, that's illegal. <laughs> what are some unrealistic expectations we bring into marriage? I think also that we will not be okay. Yeah. Yeah. We, we came into marriage and we talked about some things and we got, okay, we're on the same page. Now, those are set in stone, and they will never, ever change. Unrealistic. Our expectations are going to change and grow and develop as we change and grow and develop, and there has to be some room for that. Sure. Some people come in, like she's saying, they come from a broken family. They come from potentially even an abusive family. And they come in with the expectation of this person is going to hurt me. It's just a matter of when. This person is going to leave me. It's just a matter of when. This person is going to tell me what to wear, what to eat, when to, like, and that's the expectation when they come in. Again, unrealistic, unhealthy but many people enter marriages with those kind of expectations as well. Miss <laughs> Kitty, are you suggesting to me that you and Mr. David... No. <laughs> she said the expectation that those romantic fires are always going to be there. and your, fir your first kid changes things. And listen, like Kim said, that they're going to be the same. There should be an expectation that, like, I'm going to love this person, this person's going to love me. We just need to redefine what love actually is. We're going to look at that more next week. The, the realistic expectation is that it's, our love is going to grow and change. 
And sometimes it's going to be, man, we just can't keep our hands off each other. I can't wait to see him again. And other times it's going to be like, yeah, that's why the couch has two separate ends. You stay over there. I'm good over here. We're fine. You know, and everything in between, there has to be room for that to kind of flex and move and change. What else? Sure, sure. Sure. Yeah, there, there's a lot. We, we've talked kind of specifically about American culture, but the old mixing pot, you know what I mean? And so there's a lot of different cultures represented. And for people that marry someone that's come from a different culture, or honestly, I'm from Ohio. Many of you are from West Virginia. We come from different cultures, right? It's clear. but we expect they're gonna hold the same values that I hold. They're gonna view things the same way that I view them. But we're coming from, we're mashing different cultures together. There has to be an expectation for that. Go ahead, Brian. Uh, okay. Okay, there's an expectation that we should be able to figure everything out just between the two of us. To ask for help is weakness, is, you know, we, it's just me, her, and Jesus. That's all we need. That's not a New Testament principle. <laughs> The reason there's so much teaching on marriage in the New Testament is because people were going, we don't know what we're doing. And so Paul, a single guy, was like, let me help you here. Like, which is also why Paul went, look, if you're not married, maybe think about don't. Like, he was like, that seems hard. There's a real biblical case to be made for that. But that expectation, like, yeah, we're going to need some help. There's going to be times when we need to bring some other people in to go, we don't know what we're doing. To, to expect when you're married that you already have it all figured out and won't need help is foolishness. But we, we typically do. I, I think that, that this is just the tip of the iceberg. And I, I had, we're going too long. I love our nursery workers, as we said, so I don't want to abuse them. We were going to look at the other thing and go, man, what are some healthy ones that we can bring into marriage and talk about some of those? I would encourage you to keep thinking through that. In fact, I'm going to have a, some homework for you here in just a minute. But we have to learn to identify and communicate our expectations. So many of us are walking around. We have no idea what our expectations even are. We just know we're frustrated with everybody all the time. We just know nobody else does things right. And if they would just listen to me. And we look at our spouse and there's always that like, oh, I, we're going to have that same argument again. We're going to like, I just know it. We're... So many times we're not even aware what our own expectations are. And if we're not aware of them, A, we're just going to keep tripping over them. We're never going to have the ability to examine them and go, is this realistic? Is this a fair burden to put on another human being? Is this a realistic expectation of myself that I should be perfect, that I should be? We're never going to be able to examine them and find out what's realistic and what's not, what's healthy and what's not. And I think what the next step that leads to this brokenness, we're never going to be able to communicate our expectations. We're never going to be able to look at the other person and go, hey, here's what I need from you. That per they're never going to be able to look at us and go, it would make it so much easier for me if you could just. We're never going to be able to find out where our expectations are different until we're in the heat of it and we're at each other. Because I'm just frustrated with them there's a way to have those conversations outside of that blow up. 
Listen, and none of us are going to do it perfectly. We're still going to fight. That's why we'll talk about conflict later. But we have to get to that point where I not only know and understand my expectations, I can examine them, and now I can share them with this person that is in the most important, most intimate relationship this world has ever seen with me so that we can begin to lock arms and move forward together. As we look in the next four weeks, really all we're going to be doing is going, how do our expectations change the roles that we have in marriage or our conflict or finances or intimacy? Like expectations is that foundational piece. We're just going to be kind of fleshing it out in some of these other areas because we have to learn to identify, examine, and communicate our expectations. Does that make sense, church? So here is an exercise that I'm going to give you. Uh, we give this exercise to every couple that we do premarital counseling with. This is week one. And some of you are like, wait, but I've been married for 10, 20, 50 years. You could probably brush up on this. First to sit down, to do this separately, and then to come and to talk about it with each other. But so on your own, just sitting and, and a simple prayer of Lord, would you help me to know my own heart? The scripture says that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? He can. Lord, would you help me even to understand my own heart? What are my expectations for my marriage? What are the things that I expect from my spouse and what are the things that I expect from myself? And listen, here's a couple questions that might help you get to the bottom of that. What makes me feel loved and valued when they do this? When this happens, when I'm in this kind of situation, whatever it might be, what fills my tank? What makes me feel loved and valued? The other side... What makes me feel frustrated with my spouse, with my family, whatever it might be? Those are, those are going to be those, those markers to go, hey, there's an expectation here. When it gets met, you feel great. When it doesn't get met, you feel frustrated. So just kind of two questions to help you begin to flesh out. What are the expectations that I bring into marriage? Expectations spiritually, the kind of relationship that we should have on, on a deep level spiritually, and who's leading and who's doing what? practically, listen, most people don't think about this. What are your expectations for who does the dishes? For who does the laundry, as we talked about already? For who takes out the garbage? For uh, who disciplines the children? For when they get an e-learning day, who's doing the hard work of being teacher for that day? Or what are your expectations for those things? For kids and family, do we want to have kids? Do we not? How many? What's it look like? Like, what are my expectations? And listen, this is the time to get them all out, unrealistic or not. There might be something as you're writing it down, you're going, that's a terrible expectation. Write it down. Because if you have it, let's bring it to the forefront. Let's begin to examine it. This can be done with children and parents. Sure. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. This is part of that thing where, like I said, it supersedes just marriage. This goes into every relationship. When it comes to work, what are my expectations for the people that work for me or the people that I work for? Are those realistic expectations? Am I trying to control things that are out of my control? Like, so you can do this exercise anywhere. What expectations do I have for my marriage? What expectations do I feel like have been placed on me? And listen, I'm, I'm going to call us to have some, some grown adult conversations after this because it's, it's, it's uncomfortable to look at somebody and go, I don't even know if you're aware of it, but I feel like you expect me to do this, and that's just a weight that I have to carry. But until we can begin to have those, we're just going to keep tripping over it. We're just going to be frustrated with each other. What, 
What expectations do I have for my marriage? What expectations do I feel have been placed on me? And then to have the conversation together and go, what areas do we need to reset our expectations? We've, now that we've talked about it, we realize, boy, we are just missing each other. What is a fair, healthy, realistic expectation for us to have? You have the ability to take out expectations and put new ones in. Sometimes it's just that simple of going, oh, I didn't know you expected me to take out the trash. I can do that. No problem. Sometimes it's, there's a lot more work that goes into it because this comes from like the home that I grew up in and it's something I've believed about myself and there's a lot of work that has to go into changing it. But until we can identify it, we can never begin to change it. But we have the ability to have these grown-up conversations and go, it really frustrates me when you do this and it's because here's what I expect. And allowing the other person to go, that's unrealistic. Okay, then let's reset. What is a healthy expectation that we can come to together so that we're on the same page and we can begin to move forward? If we will have these kinds of conversations, again, the next couple weeks is just going to be fleshing this out in different areas. If we can begin to have these conversations, we will see our marriages transformed. And I truly believe our families, our neighborhoods, our communities transformed through that if we're willing to have these kinds of conversations. I'm going to pray and just dismiss us. Uh, we've gone long, and again, I don't want to abuse our, our workers, so we won't close with a song this time. But if you'll just, just join me in praying that the Spirit would lead through this. I recognize these are going to be some difficult conversations for some of us, but they lead to the greatest change you could ever see if you're willing to have them. Lord Jesus, as I said before, I am incapable of knowing my own heart. I've put up so many walls and told myself so many half-truths to prop myself up that sometimes I don't know what's true and what isn't. So would you, through your Holy Spirit, lead and guide us as a church? Help us to know ourselves as you know us. Would you convict would you reveal what is really going on, not because you're trying to bludgeon us and beat us over the head with it, but because you want us to be set free from it. You want us to be able to love each other well and to find fulfillment and transformation through this marriage relationship. Would you set us free from the lies we even tell ourselves, God, I pray. Would you help us to be courageous? to have some of these conversations. God, we know it's going to lead to some conflict or maybe some hurt feelings, and, and that's really difficult. Would you give us boldness and courage? God, I think of Adam and Eve. They were, they were naked in front of each other. They were as transparent as we could be, and they weren't ashamed. May we move in that direction through the courage of the Holy Spirit will give us, God, I pray. And may we begin to just truly address some of these issues that we've known her there and we've just never given voice to or we're just realizing for the first time so that we can become the people that you've called us to be with the marriages that you've called us to, God, I pray. And may the world be different because of it. In Jesus' name, I ask all these things. Amen.